This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listen to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. This week, I extended an invitation to Kristen Keith, Fox Sports reporter and host, and she took me up on my offer. Here she is in studio here in Sterling Heights, ready to share some stories with the Doc. Welcome, Kristen. I appreciate you coming into Sterling Heights. Thanks for having me, Johnny Mac. Um, I'm not going with the Doc. I'm going with Johnny Mac because I'm a big Johnny McEnroe fan, so... You were a big tennis fan? Uh, I was. I was actually named after uh, Chris Everett. So they named me Kristen. My mom my mom declines that, but my dad was a big Chris Everett fan. So, yeah, that's, that's who I was named after. Everybody, you're listening to the one-on-one podcast series where we interview those who are working in the sports media here in Detroit. Now, Kristen, you've been here with us in Detroit since May. How has your transition been coming from the South? Uh, good, because it's the summer months. So uh, it's been nice when we get to the winter. I think I might struggle a little bit, but... Uh, I haven't lived actually in really cold. I've lived in Arkansas, Texas, Florida, Arizona, all over the South for the most part. But winter months here, uh, I don't think I'm ready for that. So we'll see. But it's been a good transition so far, about four months. Spent the first three in a hotel. So, you know, it actually wasn't that bad. I mean, other than trying to fit all your clothes into that one little room, I had my stuff in storage. But, I mean, everything's paid for. You know, you got cable, you got internet, you got electricity. You don't have to worry about setting anything up. You just come in, come out. Pretty simple, and uh, I finally moved into a place in Ferndale and uh, getting settled in, really liking the area, finally getting out and exploring, and uh, still have yet to really make a, a lot of friends, but you know what? It, that'll come. I got you I got you now, right? <laughs> Adam and I came across your broadcast when you first came to town. You're working now at Fox Sports Detroit. Tell us a little bit about your role there um, working at Fox Sports Detroit. Yeah, well, they hired me um, at the end of April, and, and I moved here and, and started. I'll be working, obviously, Tigers. You've seen me on Tigers broadcast, and I'll be doing Pistons and Red Wings. And uh, it'll just be either, you know, as a host or a reporter. And I think they're leaning for me more towards a reporter role, and that might just be because, you know, I'm a little bit younger than, than some of the other people that they have at Fox Sports Detroit on air. Um, and and I, I also prefer a reporting role. You know, for me, the studio is a little bit uncomfortable. And, and I actually had never read off a teleprompter before coming to Fox Sports Detroit, which was kind of funny. You know, everything that I had hosted before had been, you know, on location somewhere where there's no teleprompters. And, you know, you're just kind of off the cuff, which is where I'm much more comfortable. So I remember the the first day I was in the studio, I was like, oh, gosh, reading off a teleprompter is a lot harder than you think, just stumbling over simple basic words and whatnot. But uh, I've gotten more comfortable with it. But I think my role will probably in the future, at least the near future, be more of a reporting role than uh, than hosting. But I'll, I'll still do both. Tell us, fans here in Detroit, some of your early sports memories. Did, were you always somebody that kind of leaned toward wanting to be a reporter and a journalist? Or is this something that after schooling you just said, OK, this is something I want to do for a career? I think I've wanted to do this probably since I was about six or seven. Um, ever since I saw that, probably, I don't know, 
it's maybe Susie, Susie Colber. Uh, has been a, I've always been a big fan of hers or Michelle Tafoya. Uh, growing up and seeing them, the fact that they were actually, I mean, I, I grew up with two older brothers and a sports fanatic father, and we always had football on for the most part on Saturdays and Sundays. And I remember watching them and saying, how did they get on the field? How are they talking to the coaches? How are they talking to the players? This is so cool. They've got the best role. They've got the best gig. So for me, it was always kind of like, that's cool. I want to be at the game. And, you know, what better way to do it than, be getting the inside story that, you know, you're telling to fans. And uh, ever since then, it was kind of, you know, obsession with that. And I've always loved journalism. I've always had a knack for kind of investigative reporting for a sense of like wanted to do stuff like that. Um, But sports has been such a big passion of mine. So it just kind of naturally has always been something I wanted to do. Who are your teams that you rooted for growing up? You know, that's funny. Uh, mostly college teams because we moved around so much. My oldest brother went to Florida State, so I'm a big Florida State fan. This past weekend was uh, was pretty rough, so we should probably not talk about that. Louisville looked, looked way too good, uh, and Florida State looked way too bad. But uh, always always a Florida State fan. My other brother was a Gator fan, but I liked my older brother more, so Florida State. Notre Dame because I'm Catholic, so, I mean, you can't go against the Irish if you're Catholic. Otherwise, you've got that Catholic guilt and uh, for your whole life. So always Notre Dame's been in there. Um, and honestly, my dad was such a big Arkansas fan because that's where his mother went. And that's where I ended up going, not because he pushed me there or anything, but because that's the way it turned out. I was a track and field athlete there and they had a great program. That's why I ended up there. But he was such a big Arkansas fan. So it was more of who to root against. And he, we always grew up just hating the University of Texas. It was like anybody but Texas. He's more of an anti-fan. So he actually raised us to be more of anti-fans than actual fans of teams. But but for me, I would say Florida State, Notre Dame, and, and obviously Arkansas has been my biggest teams. You went to Arkansas after high school. And then uh, do they have a great journalism program? Is that what you studied in college? Yeah, it is. I actually went to Oklahoma for my first year. Mm. Um, that's Arkansas did not recruit me out of high school, which was funny because I was um, I pole vaulted. It was my event in, in track and field, and I was I was pretty highly recruited out of high school for a pole vaulter. Um, not that every track and field program dedicates scholarships to you know their field events, but at Arkansas they did, but they didn't recruit me, and uh, I was like, oh okay. But that was because they they had a full full lineup. I mean, they had a lot of seniors and whatnot. So I didn't even really look at Arkansas and Oklahoma. I loved the environment. The coach was really nice. And, you know, I loved it. My recruiting visit was great. But I really didn't look at how coaching works and how they coach you as an athlete. And then I got there and I was like, wait, this guy doesn't really know how to coach women's pole vaulting. And uh, it just wasn't a fit for me athletically. Um, I loved it personally, made a lot of friends and had a great first year there. But I was like, all right, I need to go back to the drawing board if I really want to be a pole vaulter in college. And uh, Arkansas was perfect timing. They were like, this is great. And you know, gave me a scholarship and was able to, to go to Arkansas and uh, vault there. And I loved it. Great journalism program. Um, that's actually really, really growing. But I think all journalism programs right now are taking off. They're starting to put a lot of money in into it. But I had a lot of really great professors, ones that, you know, helped me. And even while I was in college, if there would be sports broadcasts to come to the area, CST would do a lot of our baseball games. And, you know, one of our professors said, hey, Kristen, think you'd be great for this. Why don't you be the sideline reporter for when CST comes to town? And, you know, I, I got to be the sideline, you know, reporter for a lot of our baseball broadcasts, which I loved. I mean, that's there's nothing better than getting hands-on experience when you're young like that. Um, and they're doing a lot more of that kind of stuff now. And so I, I really in, enjoyed the, the journalism program there. So what was your personal best in the pole vault? 420 for and it's metric. So I think it's 1310. So I was under 14, but uh, I never made that mark. Always wanted it, but you know, never got it. But yeah, there's it's crazy to think how far the sport has come. I know I'm pole vaulting, most people don't know much about it, but 
it's drastic how good the girls have gotten just in the few years that I've been gone. My former teammate, uh, she's been out of college now for a year, year and a half. Uh, Sandy Morris actually took second at the Olympics this year. So she won silver. She should have won gold. She was over the bar. I mean, I, I got this. This was a video. I'd make you show the video. It's crazy. But uh, she did phenomenal. And she just set the American record at 16.5. And it's just it's just ridiculous. Like when I was in college, you could jump 14 feet. You were gold, you know, and it's two. It's two and a half feet higher. It's just it's ridiculous the way the sport's taken off. You know, 16, five would win state, you know, a, a boys state high school track meet for I, I would say probably like 35, 40 states. It's it's crazy uh, what girls are jumping now. So, yeah, I, I, I never had the aspirations to go farther than college, but I loved it. It was my dad always likes to say, had I gone to another university, I, I would have won so many track meets, you know, because there's, you know, not as much competition. But at Arkansas, pole vaulting is such a strong suit for that university and that track and field program. I think I mean, I won one meet my my whole four years when I was vaulting there. But they had at this past Olympics, they had three girls that were from Arkansas, which is kind of cool. Two of those represented the U.S., which is great because you only get three from from the U.S. And two of the three were Arkansas pole vaulters and the others from Slovenia, who was all former teammates of mine. And it's just, it's just cool to see all the people that you train with have such success at the sport. So I never had those ambitions, but I, lo- I love watching. I still follow the sport. I was also a diver. And honestly, I, I picked that up in college and that was where I loved diving. Like pole vaulting is great. And I'll say people who really love pole vaulting, they'll do it their whole life. They go out and pole vault smart. No chance. You could not, you could not pay me money to try and pole vault right now. That would no way. That'd be so embarrassing. And I would not, I, Probably couldn't clear a bar, so I, that's okay. I, I I hung my track spikes up when I was done. But diving, I love diving. Had I have picked that up a little bit sooner, maybe at least a year or two before college, I honestly think I would have would have tried to dive post collegially. You know, maybe maybe try to Olympics and stuff because it was one of those sports that I picked up so quick and I loved. I could just stay in there and train all day, all day. I loved it. So you know, people used to joke around with my diving coach and say. Where did this she, junior like who is this girl? Where'd she come from? He's like, oh, I, I got her off the track team. But yeah, the the crazy sports were for me: pole vaulting and diving. Nice. No, even though you were you know track and field, you were a student athlete. How was the balance of trying to train, try to do the best that you can at a you know at your at the, the pole vaulting, and then you know trying to be a successful student, you know, uh, studying journalism? Um, it was it was pretty hard, honestly. Um, I. Arkansas was not a difficult school for me academically. Mm. So luckily, you know, and I I had really great professors who understood that I was tired all the time and, you know, I have to get up at 6 a.m. to go to my diving practices. And then I go to track in the afternoon and then back to diving. And, you know, I spent, I don't know, four, eight, eight hours a day probably training between the two sports. And so school for me, I, I didn't go to class a lot. You know, I always did my assignments. I was always there for tests and I always had good grades. I had two B's in college and those were in French, which, you know, you're probably not going to learn a foreign language if you don't go to class. So that's all right. I, I'll take those B's. <laughs> but uh, I really didn't go to class that much. So uh, it, it's a hard balance. You know what I mean? And I, I Luckily, like I had no problem getting through it. But, it, you know, I, I kind of wish I look back now and I'm like, man, I wish I would have gone to class a little bit more and had fun and you know, experienced it, but I, I was just always tired or working or training. And, you know, I think about the people who, who play sports where, you know, they're actually revenue sports, men's basketball and, and football and so much pressure is put on them in those programs. And, um, and a lot of those people probably don't have the background that, that I grew up in and, and have the academics behind them. 
and it's tough. You know, it's definitely tough, especially at a at a SEC school. Yeah. So, how many hours would you think you would put in? You know, as a, as an athlete, in terms of the balance between student athlete. I know a lot of people are talking about it. Whether you know people are that are really in big time sports are really getting the quality education that they deserve. But how many hours do you think you're putting in? At, you know, in the athlete portion of your time there at uh, Arkansas. Whew. Um. I mean, definitely for, forty hours. Definitely forty hours a week. Definitely. Man, you know, full I mean, time. It's, it's a full. It was a full time job. I would say definitely forty hours a week between yeah, so- between getting there early, you know, warming up and actually practicing, lifting, training, everything that that goes through the rehab, all of it. Yeah, definitely easy forty hours a week. So, but you say getting the education they deserve, um, it, it's there. The opportunity's there. It's just the motivation, even for someone like me who appreciates academics a lot. The motivation's not there academically while you're there, while you're trying to train for a sport and, and do that and and excel. You know, so I understand it from that that perspective. I just think there needs to be certain certain things that that change in the college landscape of how when you come in, financial planning for for student athletes, um, and and to actually teach some of these these kids how to handle their the checks that they're getting, you know, and and how to budget out for meals and for living and whatnot, and if they're sending money back home, I I really think that's important because a lot of a lot of student athletes when they first start getting checks. They send the money back home or they spend it like this and, and they don't really know what they're doing. And especially athletes who go on to have successful careers as a professional athletes, they're making big paychecks. I mean, you, you see how many guys go bankrupt so quickly. Um, I think there's a lot of things like that that should change when you come into college. But it's hard for me to say because, you know, I never had, like I said, those aspirations to, to play professionally. So OK, so what were your goals now? You, you went and majored in journalism. At the beginning of college, when you first start, you're like, okay, I think I want to become a reporter. I want to do this. Going into your educational experience uh, at Oklahoma and then subsequently at Arkansas, what were your goals after you completed your education? Um, I mean, this, exactly what I'm doing now is, is what I wanted to be doing. You know, I always knew this is what I wanted to do. I, I always knew that I wanted to be either a sideline reporter or a host or, or covering a team, um, whether it was college or professional, that this is what I wanted to do. And uh, no matter what, it took production wise to get there. I mean, I've done s- several different jobs in production, but whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera, you know, I, I could work as a cameraman right now. I could work, uh, you know, I've, I've worked as a stage manager on the primetime ESPN college football crew for the last couple years. And that taught me so much about what goes on during a broadcast. And I love it. I, I appreciate it. It doesn't matter. I mean, don't tell them this, but you know, I, I would do it for free. The, the experience that you get from being on broadcast at a certain level and the quality and the people that you're around, the learning experience is, is second to none. And you can't really be taught that. That's the difficult thing about this industry. You know, they teach me how to how to edit and how to shoot and stuff like that, um, which is good, the basics, but actually getting in the field and doing it on a deadline um, and, and knowing how to do all of that and actually turn it into a real broadcast, a real show and see how that comes together they really don't teach you that in college. You need hands-on experience. So uh, I've been able to get that mostly post-collegiately other than those sideline reporting experiences that I got in college, which are great. And I think a lot more broadcasts are doing that when they, you know, when they go to schools, they'll ask professors and say, Hey, for a runner, we need a runner. You guys have any uh, students that you want to recommend? And they get to help out that way, which I think is, is really, really important for the hands-on experience. And a lot more uh, universities are starting to put their own studios in and do their own shows and stuff like that. And um, at Arkansas, they did have one, but I could never make it because it always conflicted usually with my practice time. So I was actually, I got to do a few things, but rarely ever did I get to participate in, in some of those kind of 
extracurricular activities, you know, as you'd say with the, with the student broadcast programs. Now, whether it be at Oklahoma or Arkansas, who are some of your mentors that you look to and taught you kind of things, to, you know, in your experiences, you know, at school or outside of school? Who are people that you look to or someone that took you under their wing and really showed you, hey, this is some this is a way you want to act professionally or how do you want to act in the journalistic field? <laughs> Did you have any mentors? Oh, God, that's crazy. No, I don't. You know, that's hard. I've had some teachers that really uh, I had probably two teachers that I would say one Larry Foley who uh who's the head of the journalism department and uh he does amazing documentaries he's actually got one called The Boys of Summer which he's uh, he's got several that he's mm-hmm. Emmy Emmy nominated Emmy award winning documentarian I guess is the proper term and uh he takes a real interest in his students and kind of shows them and says hey like this is this is what to do. This is what not to do. But I mean, it's, it wasn't just with me. It was with everybody. And another professor, Dennis Kirkpatrick, who had broadcast experience, directing and producing experience at the, you know, at high levels like Fox and ESPN. And um, he came in and taught and he's the one who actually got me those roles as sideline reporting and, you know, kind of said, hey, this is the avenue you need to go down or, hey, you know, if if you really want to do this, this is what you need to do. You know, watch watch every broadcast that you can. Take notes while you're watching. What's she asking? What's he asking? What's going on? Pay attention to those post-game press conferences and, and try and think, you know, like a fan and like a journalist. And what would you ask if you were in there? So, you know, kind of just getting the wheels turning, always stuff like that. But I don't think I ever had anybody say, hey, don't, don't, don't do this or don't do that until, you know, maybe I, I did it. It was kind of one of those people it's more of like ask ask for forgiveness not for permission and I think you can tell that <laughs> no that's great now in looking at some of the things you did I, I seen in the summer of 2009 were you an intern at 17 magazine yeah oh my goodness yeah what'd you do there so um that was more that came through the journalism department they have all these internship programs and it was on a bulletin and it was like New York City I'd go to New York City for a summer and work at a magazine done cool Signed up, you know, they said, sure, come be an intern. So I actually got to live in New York City um, the summer of 2009, which was fun. And to be honest, I I don't, I, I didn't do anything, you know. I, I bagged jewelry and inventoried it and took it back to whatever store, loaned it to them for the pictures. And it was nothing that I would ever, you know, recommend honestly doing. But I loved, I got to live in New York City for a summer, which was um, the experience in that in and of itself was was really special. So what's it like living in New York City? How old were you at the time in 2009? Uh, I was 21. And uh, it was, it was amazing. I mean, that's, you know, it's a city that never, never sleeps. And you go there. And uh, I think I had like two really big suitcases with as much clothes as I could fit. And uh, that was about it. So, I mean, it was kind of one of those experiences that I had never, I mean, I come from a very sheltered background. And, uh, you know, my parents were terrified that I, I still honestly to this day can't believe that they said yes for me to do that. My dad especially, you know, but but I did. And I actually, I lived in NYU housing, um, but it was really nice, like apartment style with, with two other girls who were there also doing internship programs for the summer. And it was it was cool. I mean, just learning the hardest part was learning how to, to try and budget in New York City because everything is so expensive and learning how much it was actually going to cost. You know, I'm like, oh, no big deal. I don't have a car. I don't have to worry about gas. But then I didn't realize it was going to cost me a hundred bucks a month to take the subway. You know, I OK, I didn't plan for that. You know, just little things like that. Um, life lessons and, you know, having to try and get to get to work on time, get there at 8 a.m. in the hustle and bustle in a city like that. That was interesting for a while. Um, but it was fun. You know, you, you learned a lot. Uh, met a lot of cool people and the experiences were fun. I actually, I lost, I don't know if it was stolen or lost, but I, I had a little wristlet that had my, my license, my credit card, um, you know, pretty much everything that I needed. Actually, I had that on my wrist and I, I lost it at some point making 
away from my place to a friend's place. And uh, we were going to go out. And I was like, I have no idea where it is. You know, call, cancel. But I don't have any backup form of ID. So we're going out. She knows of this this new hotspot, this club to go to. It, it was One Oak. And it's still a hotspot now. But this is this is probably like in a day, Like, right? It was pretty new at the time. And, and it was the place to be. She's like, I can get us in tonight. We got to go. And I was like, all right, sweet. So we go. And, and the guy's like, ID. And I was like, well, I, you know, see. And he's just looking at me. And I was, you know, one of those busty mean door guys that's like let's get this girl out of here and i'm like wait so i pull up my at this time i had an iphone i don't know if it was the first generation or second or 3g probably but still slow slow as heck internet but i was able to pull up my athlete bio at arkansas that had my date of birth on it and i was like look see i'm 21 and i embarrassed the guy so bad he's like just just get inside just go just get inside so they let me in i get inside and uh you know we're talking having a good time and you know loving loving the new york city nightlife and these two guys were talking to these two guys, my friend and I, and uh, what do you do? What do you do? And well, they play hockey. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Where, where do you play hockey? Like, you know, at your school or something? I'm like, no, no, we play professional hockey. I was like, like in the NHL. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, no, you don't. And I'm looking at these guys. I'm sizing them up. And, you know, I had probably a drink or two in me and I start talking a little bit of trash. And uh, it turns out that the two and I, at this time, your phone was not fast enough and it didn't work in the club. So I couldn't just quickly Google these guys to see if they were telling the truth or not like I would now and uh they're both smaller than me I remember that and I was like, <laughs> but I was like there's no way I was like I'll, I'd take you back out you know we I, I could kick your ass right now you know I'm just talking mad smack to these guys and they're they're getting a good really good laugh out of it and so I was like all right forget about it I leave I go I go home and in the cab on the way home I look them up turns out they are in the NHL and it, it was it was Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves so the Chicago Blackhawks and you know now every time I see them playing them you know I get, I get a good crack out of it and just it's a pretty good laugh, but that summer was fun, that's for sure. And now upcoming, the Red Wings season, you know, the Detroit Red Wings-Chicago Blackhawks rivalry. That'll be a nice yep. joke. Yep. Kristen Keith can kick their ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. But they are they are smaller than me, so I'm still shocked at that. Like, I had no idea that every time I watch them, I'm like, you know, you don't. It's, sometimes it's hard to get a, a good size, especially in hockey with the skates. You know, it's hard for me to judge the height and the size of the players just based off TV. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, I'm like, all right. Don't judge a book by its cover. Exactly. That's a great story. Your time in New York was fruitful. Did you ever think that maybe I could live here dealing with the people, the cost? Did you ever think? Because, you know, bright lights, big city. A lot of people will say, you know, if you're coming from a small town and you go, okay, if I want to be a journalist, the, everyone knows the mm-hmm. action's in New York. Did you ever think maybe that's a, a, a big town like that is I'm for you? I'm definitely a city girl, but at the same time, not not New York City because I like I like to be able to have my car. I like to be able to drive at the grocery store. I like the the ease and the comfort of of having, you know, a garage and a house to walk up into. It's nice and simple. You know, as much as I love high rises and the buildings, like it's just there's too much, I guess, hustle and bustle of everyday everyday which I would say like issues, you know, whether it's not walking up so many stairs or this and just little things that would bother me as a person that the way I grew up that would irritate me that you know, I, I could probably handle better, but, you know, New York City definitely brings it out in you. And maybe that's why some people aren't super happy there. But <laughs> mm-hmm. for me, it's it's one of those places to go get away, like I said, for maybe maybe a couple months here or there, you know, if I'm working, you know, fly in and out. But it's not somewhere I, w- I would ever probably live long term. OK, recall for us your first job interview. Where was it? And take us through the experience of, OK, you're probably done with school or maybe a little bit of time passes and you're like, OK, it's time for me to start mm-hmm. earning money in a job that I'm in. What was it like your first interview and what what was your first job? First interview was with the news director at 4029, which was the ABC affiliate in northwest Arkansas. And it was about a week before graduation. And uh, I was just I was what position I was 
editor position, I think, or an AP. You know, this is, you know, the lowest of low that you can get in local news. So it was a nothing position, but that's where you start. You know, that's you got to do it. And at least it was in a market that I was comfortable in. And I think at the time, Northwest Arkansas was market size 100 or 101, which isn't bad. You know, most people start in much smaller markets. And so I was like, all right, you know, we're great. We're going to give this a go. And uh, um, there had been interest. My professor had said, hey, you know, I talked to the news director about you. You should you should definitely interview for this position. So I did. And, and it went well, and, and they hired me, and I, I started work. I graduated on a Saturday, and I started the first job on a Monday. But, you know, I remember going in and thinking, well, you know, I was so overwhelmed, and it was just really cool to see a real a st- real studio. You know, I mean, I had been, only been in the studio, I guess, at our, our university, which was real small. And just from seeing the control room to being in the studio and seeing how everything went and uh, learning their systems and, you know, local newscasts, you have really tight deadlines. And at the time, you were editing tape to tape for the most part, so I was rewinding tapes, and it's not digital the way it is now. And, uh, God, that was tough. But luckily, it changed while I was there. But it made me a really good editor, and I enjoyed that. And then I transitioned a few months after into a sports reporter for them, um, and which was great because you know, I was covering the Hogs and um, knowing so many coaches and athletes and, and backgrounds. That was easy. It was an easy transition to do for me as a first job. No, I wasn't, I wasn't good at it. If I watched any of my stuff now, I'd be like, oh, God, why did I do that, you know? But that's that's just the learning curve. That's just the way it goes, trying to get experience, your first job. And so now you're a reporter at Fox Sports Detroit. And people will say, you know, in the journalism field, you kind of start to realize that maybe you could have to travel and, you know, in order to advance yourself in different markets and things like that. How has the transition been going from market to market and now coming from, you know, Dallas to Detroit? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's definitely part of part of the way this works, this this whole industry. It works. You got to be ready to do that. And and like I had mentioned earlier, um, I've worked, you know, a number of roles in production and probably the one that, that's had me travel the most. I, I worked as a stage manager on a college football crew for ESPN and um, I loved it, you know, because of everything that I learned during those broadcasts. I got to work with, you know, some of the best. Holly Rowe was a sideline reporter and I learned so much information from her. She taught me so much and she's she's definitely somebody that I idolize in this industry. Um, so getting that kind of hands-on experience is great, but I traveled a lot. You know, I had a full-time job, um, while I was working with these, these crews where I would work on the weekend and then I had a full-time job Monday through Friday. So I would, and I actually traveled for that Monday through Friday full-time job where I was actually a reporter for campus insiders and the big 12 digital network covering the big 12. And I would travel on Monday. I'd fly out, to Big 12 school. I'd shoot feature stories myself as a one-man band Monday and Tuesday, fly back either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. I'd edit all day and night, you know, Wednesday and Thursday, and as much as I could on Friday. And then I'd fly out to wherever our game was and, and do my role with them. And meanwhile, I'd be trying to prep and get ready for my next interviews and wherever I'm flying out to next week with the Big 12 and the stories that I'm working on there. So it, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But at the same time, I really wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I, I think from August... August, probably Big 12 media days to the national championship. I mean, I had no days off. And yeah, you get tired and, and whatnot. But the second that you start having days off, you're like, oh, what am I doing? I, you're twiddling your thumbs and you miss it. And I love, I love the grind of that. I love the grind of the industry. I love the way that, that the way this business works is when everybody is doing their job and it, a broadcast comes together. I love watching that. I love seeing it. And, I, and the travel is part of it. Now, I'm not a great traveler. I mean, I'm, I am a great traveler. I'm very efficient, but I'm not a happy traveler is what I mean. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not 
I'm not one to stand in line or wait. I'm not a patient person at all. So that's that's a little bit tough for me, um, the grind of that. And, and anybody who travels a lot knows that it takes takes it out of you when you fly. Like you're not doing anything, but you land and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm zapped. I'm tired. Why am I so tired? Um, so that, that's well, that was hard, but it is it's part of the industry. And uh, yeah, I have no problem traveling or picking up to to be able to do the job that I love. Have you done any special interest stories? And what are some of the stories that you recall in your mind as being very important and long lasting for you? Yeah, I mean, feature stories are, are definitely what I enjoy doing. Um, I'd say that's that's kind of eventually down the line. That's that's probably what I will want to focus on only. Um, you know, I love I love show I love stories. I love shows like E60, you know, and I love 30 for 30. I mean, I think everybody does. It's just it's the way they tell the story, the in-depth, the the sound bites that they're able to get, the human emotions that they're able to evoke from their viewers is so special. And and I so I love I, I read a lot. Um, I have a list of favorite writers, you know, that are great feature writers. And that's kind of like that's what I want to be able to do. But but on video, who's on the list? And um, can you put me on the spot? I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back oh. to it. But that's definitely what I want. You, you said one of my favorite stories is just one. The first one that came to mind was um, uh, a story. This Iowa State uh, was playing TCU in football last year. TCU was actually playing in Ames. And they have kid captains that come out on the field and get to be there for the coin toss. And a little girl with cerebral palsy by the name of Abby Faber was she, she was there. She was in her wheelchair. She's, you know, having a good time. And Trayvon Boykin, she's an Iowa State fan. She's got an Iowa State jersey on. And Trayvon Boykin, the quarterback for TCU, you know, looks over and she, he just says, hey, hey, how's it going? What's your name? And bends down and talks to her. Now, someone gets a, a great photo of it uh, and it surfaced, made the Internet, made the rounds. But it's stories like that that how it went viral and how the fact that, hey, opposing opposing team with this fan right here has a minute when he is supposed to be dead, locked in, serious, thinking about the game. It's like he realizes that there's more than just this game. The life's bigger than that. And it was just a picture totally encompassed that. And uh, TCU fans fell in love with it. Iowa State fans fell in love with it. And actually a TCU booster got them, got Abby Faber and her family on a private jet and flew them down to a TCU game, oh, I think a week or two later. And I got to go and, and meet them and be in the suite with them. And uh, they hung out with uh, Gary Patterson, TCU head football coach, his wife and her suite. And TCU took complete care of this family and just completely brought them in. And it was just really cool to see the way that a fan base rallied around this family. They started a Go TCU student, I think, started a GoFundMe account for um, Abby and her family because she's going to have to have several medical procedures over the course of her life. And, you know, those are expensive. And they were able to raise, you know, I think at the time after it's only a week, they raised like thirty thirty five thousand dollars for the family, which is incredible. She it wasn't only Abby, but she had, I think, three three brothers and sisters. Let's see, a brother, a sister, I think four four kids total in the family. And they were all so well-behaved and so polite. And to see the way that they, they treated Abby and they took care of her, it was it was special. This was special family. It wasn't just it wasn't just the fact that TCU took this family and it was how great of a family this is, how deserving they were of of this treatment and, and to see, you know, how touched they were and how much they appreciated it. And stories like those that make you love love sports. And that was that was one that I actually got to be, you know, up close and personal and help tell that that's probably my favorite. Is there a current topic going on in sports now that you'd want to go into a little bit more and delve into, like, you know, an E60 profile that's on your mind? Right now? Concussions in the NFL, baseball and minorities, anything like that that piques your interest? I mean, you, you talk about baseball and minorities, and uh, what Adam Jones said totally resonated, actually. What did Adam Jones say for those that don't know the story? Well, when, when Adam Jones, he said that baseball is, is a white man's sport. It's a white man's game. And 
Now, no, it's not completely dominated by white players, and that's not what he meant. But I think he meant by the, the history of the game, you know, it being America's pastime and the fact that you're not going to see anybody sitting or kneeling for the anthem in baseball. You're just not going to see it. And it's so it was really funny because I think the day that he said that I, I was actually working, I was down at Comerica Park covering the game that day. And, you know, whenever they play the national anthem, I usually just glance at the teams and stuff like that. And I remember when it started, I glanced at the team and I thought to myself, I literally had this thought and I said, well, no, it's, it's baseball. I was like, I don't need to be looking for someone kneeling. You know, is that a story? No, it's baseball. That act, that thought actually crossed my mind. And then later, I think the next day the, the article came out and I was like, you know, it's, it's you know, it's really true. Um, but he's got a lot, a lot to be said for it. And, and I think that just bringing light to the fact that it, the way the game is, is run is interesting. I mean, he had a lot of really good points to say, so that's definitely something I would delve into the minorities in the sport. Um, is there an athlete that's caught your attention, whether it be in college or professional that you'd say, Oh, I'd like to sit down for maybe an hour, hour and a half with them and see what, what makes them tick. Good question. Um, that's a really good question. Oh man. Put me on the spot. Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey's up there for me because he's a bright guy and he's able to do it all. And he comes from a family of exceptional athletes, you know, brothers, sisters, mom, father, they're all exceptional athletes. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I just love to pick his brain and see, you know, is this something that you always knew that you were destined for? You know, just because it's it's in the bloodline. Did you feel pressured to do it? And he's also a great student, really smart kid, really nice kid. I I think that's that's kind of interesting, you know, and, and what he's been able to do. And I mean, honestly, last year, part of me thought he sh- should have won the Heisman, you know, and uh, this Louisville quarterback, you know, might have something to say about it this year. But coming into the season, I, Christian McCaffrey already had my vote. You know, I was saying he's going to be the Heisman winner this year. So, I mean, he's just an incredible athlete, what he's able to do. And I don't think the Pac-12 got nearly as many looks because of the time slots that they were in. A lot of people didn't see them play and what he was able to do. But he's an incredible, incredible athlete. And he, he poises himself really well. But he's kind of that calm, quiet confident leader, humble guy who comes from a really, really interesting background. So yeah, he's, he's one that I'd like to, I'd like to sit down and talk to probably. Yeah. Now a lot of people in the media tell me that one of the most important things is to read, is to be informed, spend about a lot of time reading articles, different websites. What kind of websites do you look to when you're looking at sports? And you said double back to who are the writers that you find to be entertaining and ones that you kind of check out their articles regularly? Well, Twitter, I mean, Twitter's your best friend in that, in that sense, you know, like I wish mm-hmm. I could follow a lot of, a lot of people, a lot more people, mm-hmm. but I really don't follow any, any friends or family members. People I follow are, are either athletes or other journalists for the most part in sports. And, uh, I mean, that that's for a reason, you know, I mean, you get the best stories that way. I go to Twitter and I get all, mm-hmm. all, everything that I need. I read, uh, an article by Jordan Ritter Kahn, mm-hmm. who's, uh, I think he used to work for Grantland. Anyway, I think he might work for ESPN now, but he, he's he's a features writer, and he wrote a great article about um, Blackman, Justin Blackman. So he wrote he wrote a, a really good feature about him. This is maybe two weeks ago, and I highly recommend looking into this feature if you haven't read it. And it took me – I mean, I'm, I'm not a fast reader, so the, some of these stories you do need to read in this business, but I'm not a fast reader by any means. The story probably took me 30 minutes to read, but it was worth it. This story evoked so much emotion, and he didn't even get any sound bites from Blackman. He didn't sit down with him. He went to his town, figured out what's, what's happened to this kid. You know, he – one of the highest NFL picks, you think he's going to be destined for greatness and he just kind of disappears. What happens to him? He gets in trouble with DWI. He clearly has a drinking problem, but this is a kid who's, who's got that, you know, he, that effervescence about him that says success and says happiness. And it's kind of like, what's the whole, what's the deep, dark secret in this guy that's helped, 
that's prevented him from from being great. And his feature was amazing on him without actually understanding or knowing what's going on in Blackman's mind and just getting the, the sound bites of coaches and people around town that see him. He was able to tell a really compelling story, which I thought was it's that's amazing to do for me. Like if you without getting a, a first person interview with your, your subject, uh, I mean, that was that was probably one of the favorite articles I've read. Okay, so rank these sites for me in order of what, what I'd like to check out. Um, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, ESPN. How would you rank those three sites? I don't go directly to the sites. Okay. So that's, I mean, I, I usually look on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If I'm going for sports scores, you know, I'll, I'll either, I'll probably, I'll probably open up my ESPN app. If okay. I just want sports scores and, and box scores and whatnot, the app is great for that. You know, I can, I can get it really fast. It's the fastest way I can do that. But I would say articles and previews and whatnot, Bleacher Report is great for that. I love the way Bleacher Report previews games. They do a really good job with that. And they also do a pretty good job with the other top 10 or top five montages they put together and and you know past plays and whatnot like that um but that that's hit or miss that's stuff that i find on twitter and i'm like oh that's cool let's click on that those are those are probably the top two and sports illustrated for me is more of of if i'm gonna i'm gonna go there for features so i'm gonna go there for more in-depth knowledge so for me those three sites i don't even compare them they're they're all different to me i don't i don't look at them the same and those sites are ranked low on my bookmarks compared to (laughs) foxsportsdetroit.com You know, that's where I go first to make sure I get all the sports needs. Um, you're working in a very tough industry in the sports industry. And, you know, there's a lot of young women that want to, you know, be on TV and be reporters. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's now, you know, the person entering into college, 18, 19, and they're going to, you know, sign up and be and, and when they declare, they're going to declare themselves a journalism major. What advice would you give them that would help them get through this very tough field that you're in? Have a backup plan. Find, okay. a, find another job. <laughs> what was your backup plan? Honestly, um, that's a great question, you know, because I still think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were doing I, this job, what would you be doing? A race car driver, maybe. Yeah, race car driver. I get pulled over enough. I, I could be a race car driver. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. That's, good. that's a really good question because there's not a lot that I'm really passionate about. I'd probably be working with animals. Honestly, I mm-hmm. love animals. Or if I could if I could work for the Animal Planet or mm-hmm. Nat, Nat Geo, oh, all over that. I don't know how well I could be outside like all night and camp and stuff like that because you know, I'm not not. Again, I'm a city girl, but I love animals. So uh, something along those lines, maybe something in production with, you know, a site like that would, or a show like that would be cool. But no, for advice for, for young people in this industry, you got to have thick skin and you got to have hands-on experience. That's it. Um, people, I had someone email me the other day. Do I need a website? Do I need this? Do I need that? You know, yeah, it's nice to have if you have time, but if you don't really have time to make one and, and make it great, no one who's going to offer you a job really has that kind of time to dig through your website. They're not going to dig. They're not going to go through it. So, yeah, if you got one and it's not a big deal for you to build a website, go for it. But it's just an added bonus. You know what I'm saying? Like half the time you send out a reel, I don't think most people watch it. Most people probably don't get past the first minute of your resume reel. So you make it, better make that minute your best stuff. You know what I mean? This is, this is a very fickle industry, and, and a lot of times it's about who you know. This, this job that I got was not about I didn't know anybody. You know, I lucked into this job. The the guy who hired me, who is un, unfortunately no longer with the state with the station at all, which you know has been a little bit uh, tumultuous for me emotionally, saying, "Oh gosh, you know, I just got here. I I'm packed up. I moved all the way from Texas here, and uh, now I'm kind of like you know uncertainty." But that's that's the industry. That is the nature of this beast, and you have to be ready for that at any time. And and I knew that, and I said it was a risk that I took. I knew that when I when I signed my contract to come up here, and I still know that, and and no regrets. You know, what I mean, that's the way the industry works. You have to be ready for that. Um, it, in, in a sense, it's, it's very much like I can make, it's very much like baseball, you know what I mean? Or it's very much like this industry to me is very much like the minor leagues of working your way up, you know, and, and I, are you going to get there? I, you, you don't know, 
but you got to put your time in and it's not it's not easy. The people who I, I think respect the most in this industry are the people who have put their time in and have worked their way up. Um, there have been people who, who've been thrown on quite early at young ages who have impressed Kaylee Hartung, Samantha Ponder. Uh, you know, those those are two who were thrown on early, but they have an incredible work ethic and drive that has allowed them to do that. And they're very intelligent women. So but this is not an industry that's, you know, if someone came up to me, you know, right out of college and said, hey, do you want to do this job? And, and it could have been my dream job. I mean, yeah, I would want to do it. But no, you're not ready. You know what I mean? You need to work your way up. You need to get that experience because it, it's very much a learning process, every bit of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. You know, I learn every every game, every broadcast. I'm learning something new. And, and that's I enjoy it. But this is not an easy industry to work in by any means. You know, so you, you definitely need to have a thick skin and get as much hands on experience that you can get. and uh be comfortable saying that, you know, the the pay might not be what you want it to be. I mean, my first job out of college, I I think I'm I made more money. I was I'm I'm part Native American. I'm part Osage Indian. And my mom was nice enough to fill out all the paperwork so I would actually get money every semester from Osage. And they paid me a pretty penny. And because I was on scholarship, a lot of that money just came in the form of a check and went into my checking account and you know, my parents are probably still wondering where where did that money actually go, you know, but and so am I. <laughs> but I, I made more money in that sense from what my parents and what Osage was putting into my bank account and my scholarship in college, probably twice as much than I did in my first job, which is crazy. You know, I'm, I'm saying, oh, my gosh, I wish I was still in college. How could I be making more as a as a college student than in my first job? But that's that's the way it works. And, and I mean, it's tough. It's not you don't make money as a journalist especially not to begin with. You know, maybe if you're at the very top, you're the, the 1%, but that's it. You got to love it. You got to love telling stories. You got to love asking the questions that nobody else wants to ask and, uh, you know, getting some of the answers back that you probably don't want to hear back. And you just got to be able to do it every day. Get have thick skin. And nowadays there's a lot of talk, a lot of reports about women covering sports. And a lot of it's focused on some of the negative perceptions that men may have towards women in the field. Have you experienced any challenges like that from negative, nasty messages on Twitter <laughs> to people saying that, you know what, a woman has to know six times as much as a man because most maybe some men think that women cannot do your job. Do you feel that? And have you experienced that absolutely. on some level? Mean tweets and stuff like oh, that? Oh, absolutely. How do you handle it? You know, I've gotten... I've gotten a lot of mean tweets and, and uh, it's, it, most of the people who have mean stuff to say don't actually tweet at me, which is good. So that thank you for that, you know, but I don't, I don't mind it. You know, a lot of it, sometimes it's criticism. You know, my first, my first, let's see, I, I came from working the college landscape. For me, I remember the first couple of broadcasts I made, I made a mistake of, of starting my interview off with Brad Osmus of saying, or ending it, you know, thanks coach. You know, well, you don't call a manager coach. Simple, simple things like that. You don't call a clubhouse a locker room. Simple changes like that, a, you know, that people responded to right away. Absolutely. You know, this girl doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, it's just slip of the tongue because for me, I mean, I'm fairly young. And for me to address Brad Osmus by his first name and say, Brad, to me, that almost feels a little bit disrespectful. So for me to say coach is more respectful in that sense. So it's just a natural thing that, oh man, I did it again. I did it again. You know, just mistakes like that, that, you know, you're, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on what I'm asking him or what, whatever was going on in the game. Slips like that, um, you know, people give you a hard time about on Twitter, which, you know, is stupid, but that's that's the way it goes, you know. But at the same time, it made me aware of it and say, hey, don't do it again. You know what I mean? And, and just little things like that. I had someone correct me. I used, uh, what word did I use? I was telling the great story, Clarissa Shields, 
uh, two-time gold medals boxer throughout the first pitch last week and uh, during my in-game report. I said uh, she probably hadn't gotten the notoriety that she deserved. Well, notoriety is not the right word to use, but I really didn't even realize that notoriety had a negative connotation with it. You know, I probably said she probably hadn't gotten the fame or the acclaim that she deserved, but little little things like that was probably an English teacher watching. You know what I mean? But but stuff like that, um, I actually do appreciate because in this business, it's always about the next show. It's always about the next broadcast, wash, rinse, repeat. You don't get a lot of... Um, critique from your coworkers. You, you you know it's it's like uh i you know i see something on facebook the other day a teacher writes out nine times one equals seven nine times two equals 18 nine times three equals 27 she writes 10 problems down and she gets nine right but misses the first one the kids are making fun of her and she says i want you to learn this lesson no matter how many times you do something right people are still going to call you out for the one time you do something wrong and that's very much the way that this business works no one's going to say hey good job that's the way it works but i actually I appreciate being critiqued. Now, a lot of times there are mean stuff that's going to be said, you know, whether it's you're fat or why are you wearing that? Um, And I understand the back end of that. I mean, you talk before this, we talked about, you know, women in sports and if they really are journalists, why do they have to look the way they do and be all dressed up and, and whatnot for TV if they're just journalists? Well, a lot of people that are watching don't really care what I have to say. You know what I mean? They don't care what a lot of women in sports have to say. You know, I go back to even my own household. We're watching a game, you know, first thing, or not even a game, we're watching the news, we come on before even listening to what people have to say, my dad will be like, why is she wearing that? Look at her hair. My mom will do the same thing. And I'm like, hello, like, goodness gracious, do you realize what industry I work in, mom and dad? You know, they'll do it. But it's, it's, it's just, it's human, you know, so you have to, you have to play into it a bit. But I try not to read too much into, into the Twitter of it all. And um, there's definitely a double-edged sword of being a woman, a woman in this industry, you know, at, at times, a lot of people don't don't think you know what you're talking about. You know, even the athletes that you're interviewing or coaches that you're interviewing, they don't think you know what you're talking about. But it doesn't matter. You know, with that, I don't care what they think of me. As long as I'm able to provide some sort of content and ask a question that's going to help you as a viewer or you as a fan learn something, that's it. My job is done. That's my job. My job isn't to impress the viewer with what I know. I'm not an analyst. You know, I, I'm a reporter. I'm there to get information and facts. My opinion doesn't matter. What I know really does not matter. And so that's that's something that you have to keep in mind, um, especially when you do hear a lot of critique and you hear from people that say, you know, well, she doesn't know anything. Well, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter. A lot of times I covered an equestrian meet and I had no idea what, what the heck, how equestrian was scored. I had no idea at all about the sport. And that was one of the one of the best things I've ever done because I knew nothing about it. I went in with more of an open mind and I was able to ask the questions that needed to be asked. And I learned so much about it. It was one of the actually the best things that I've covered. So so you don't always necessarily even, you know, it's not necessary. I don't need to impress anybody with what I know. I just need to ask the questions that's going to help you as a viewer and you as a fan learn what you want. How has been your experience interviewing some of the Tigers and manager Brad Osmus? I know sometimes it can be a little bit contentious with who's asking the question and what some of the fans may want asked. How is you, how would you describe your interview style and how is it like interviewing some members of the Detroit Tigers? I'd say it's it's evolving. You know what I mean? Um, especially when you when you learn you know a new team uh, and, and meeting a new manager and and every time I interview him, you know I feel a little bit. Um, I think it's gone pretty well in the sense that it's a new team. It's hard to jump on a new beat. It's hard because I, I don't know these guys, you know, their personalities. I know their backstories. I can read their bios. I can do as much research, you know, as possible. But really, the connection is how well you know them as, as a person and how, it, how well you're able to pull out information from them that, that you as a, that a viewer or a fan wants to know. Um, Brad, Brad is fickle. You know, Brad is 
you pretty much know what you're going to get. For the most part, every time I, I look and I think about the questions I'm going to ask Brad, I can probably tell you what he's going to be able to tell me. It's the times that he surprises me that, that I enjoy the most or that, you know, you'll there'll be a witty banter back uh, or, you know, he'll make a joke. And I, you know, you really enjoy that. But I mean, he's in his he's in his third season. So that's that's expected. You know, I don't get the kind of conversations or interviews with Brad that maybe I would I would like. I don't get him to open up as much as maybe I would like or that fans would like. But I think that's because of his youth as a manager. So I think that will come. Um, same thing, you know, with the players. We don't speak to Miguel Cabrera very often. And when we do, it's it's hit or miss, to be honest. He hates being interviewed. You know, he's he's the nicest guy, but he really just hates being interviewed. So it's kind of one of those things that we respect that. And when we do interview him, you know, it's it's we're going to be clear and concise and we're not going to try and take up too much of your time. And I think it was Trevor Thompson was in the clubhouse maybe a week or two ago, probably a week, week and a half ago. And and they were interviewing Miggy and he gave some great, great sound bites. And he talked especially about about Twitter, not looking at your phone, not looking at social media, thinking, giving this team, you know, the hope keeping it alive don't don't look at that stuff because it's detrimental it's detrimental to you it's detrimental to the team you need to stay positive especially this time of the year when you're trying to make the postseason and he said that and the way that he said it was great you know and hearing a player like that someone who should have all of the confidence in the world regardless of what people say it humanized him you know what i'm saying it's, it's saying that somebody who is that good at his game who makes that much money you know who's able to produce the way that he is for the tigers is human and actually says that there are things that people say can bring him down to it. You're just real. Hey, he's human. He's just like the rest of us, you know, just another reminder. Hey, yep. I need to stay off Twitter too. Don't always look at those notifications. In your job, it's kind of a double-edged sword. And I talk to the guys a lot about why, why are athletes and managers so PC? Why are they so guarded? Why are they so reluctant to kind of give more insight into what they're doing as, as athletes, as managers? And the, really the, the role of the media is a conduit from them to the fans. And so I sometimes question why they do it. But then, you know, and talking about what you talked about, Miggy used the word stay positive. And that's been kind of used now when the team has struggled and things like that and kind of talking about the fans. Do you think that because because of the 24-hour nature of the media and having information go viral and being talked about so much that these athletes have no other choice but to be bundled and to be PC? And I always ask myself, like, okay, if I was an athlete – I would probably get in trouble for being too real because I'm just an honest, straight-shooting kind of guy. But I understand the other side where you have to protect the organization. You have to kind of not create media storms. And so it just must be tough on your end to try to get information for the fans at the same time understanding that these guys don't really want to talk to you. Yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, at Fox Sports Detroit, we're partnered with the team. We love this team. We don't want any bad flack or media attention to go towards this team. So everything we have to do is you know, is positive. We love this team. We want to show them in a positive light. Um, but at the same time, you still have to ask real questions and try and get real answers. But social media has created such a, excuse my language, but shitstorm. you know, overnight, instantaneously, someone says something, it's going to be on Twitter in two seconds. Someone's going to have the, that, that as a video replaying over and over and over again. And uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's stressful as an athlete to relive. You know what I mean? Like if I make a mistake, someone's probably going to call me out on Twitter, but it's only a handful of people. You know, only a handful of people really saw and cared enough to, to tweet at me and say something. It's different if you're a player. It's different what they, what these guys have to go through and deal with. So to me as an athlete, if I, if I was a if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't even be on social media. You know, it's best to just to completely stay off of that. But that's hard, especially if you're young. So yeah, I understand why they're guarded for sure. Um, that definitely makes the job that much harder. Um, but at the same time, I also understand that 
if they wanted to, they can use the media to their full advantage. We, they, the media will eat up what they say if they say it in the right way. So part of it, I think, you know, if if they are taught how to do that, then which you know they should be that the PR team should be teaching these guys how to handle the media, how to deal with them. It can be gold. You know what I'm saying? Like it, you, it can go either way. It can go whatever way these guys want it to go. It's whatever you're saying to the media that whether or not it, it, it takes off. So, I mean, I think that if they can figure that out and get control of it, you know, you, could, you might get better stuff. But then again, you've always got those beat writers in there who are pushing and asking over and over the same question five different ways because they're looking for a certain answer, which is part of their job. You know what I mean? This might be a tough question, but I'm interested to get your side of it because, you know, I talk to guys like, you know, Vito, guys like Adam that here are here at the network, and they talk about issues in the journalistic field, and they talk about kind of where we see things going. And you see now with DetroitLions.com, the Detroit Tigers have their own website. How do you feel about maybe the trend going a little bit more towards team-run websites where it's a little bit more slanted towards PR than journalism? Because everyone knows that, okay, if you're working for DetroitLions.com, you have kind of a little bit of a slant. And it, and it seems like, from what I see, just as a regular guy here in Detroit, that it's moving towards that a little bit where I feel like the teams are trying to squeeze out you guys in the media and only giving us kind of PR. Uh, what do you think? No, they definitely are. My, my previous role was in a role very similar to that when I, I worked for Campus Insiders, which is a, a digital network based out of Chicago, um, partnered with 120 Sports. 120 is the like professional sports coverage while Campus Insiders is college. And uh, I covered the Big 12 for them. And I was based in Dallas out of the Big 12 conference office. And because we were in partnership with the conference, we were buddy-buddy. Anything that I was going to report on wasn't going to be hard-hitting. It was going to be through the schools because they knew we were partnered with the conference. I got more access. I got I got just about the same amount of access that the schools would give their video departments. So it was really nice because, yeah, you got that access. But at the same time, it's because you're basically – like you said, PR for them. You know, you're giving them PR. Now, I think there's a certain role for that. If you're showcasing a new stadium or if you're you're showcasing a new locker room, um, you know, doing behind the scenes fun stuff like that or, or going in and, and seeing what, you know, the, the coach's pregame pep talk is to the, the team before they go out and stuff like that. I think that stuff's great. I love behind the scenes stuff like that. But if you want hard hitting stories and, and journalism, it's not good for that. It definitely does hurt it. But I think there's a place for both in there. Whether, you know, PR is still trying to push out, but that's why, you know, those beat writers, that's that's their job. As you see, if you watch any raw press conferences, there's always a beat writer or two in there that might take a coach or player off that they're like, oh, this guy again, because that's the guy who's going to get the story. That's the guy who's going to push you until you say, you know, until you snap, he's going to get that. He's going to get the deep down story. And that's that's the kind of journalism that that takes off on social media and that people really do appreciate. So I don't think that's going anywhere you know, that's not going away anytime soon, but I think the method of, of getting it is is probably a little bit harder now than it used to be. Kristen Keith, kind enough to spend an hour with us sharing stories about her role as a journalist and her work at Fox Sports Detroit. Now, before we wrap up, very interested to get just a couple, you know, quick hitter questions out there for the fans and the listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit better. What's the CD that's in your car right now? Or the or, CD. Or, or no, I'm saying. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I do have a okay. CD. It's 3-6 Mafia. And that was a birthday present from a while ago. Old, old school 3-6 Mafia. I haven't actually listened to it, but no, I, I usually have my iPod going. What's on your playlist on your iPod? Uh, let's see what the last song mm-hmm. was playing. Um, it's going to be Future or Drake something. Okay. Um, hip-hop. Or, You're very influenced yeah, by hip-hop? Definitely, definitely hip-hop and rap. Yeah, no, no country. I may be from Texas, but I'm, I'm not a country fan. Sorry. Are you a fan of sports radio? Yeah. 
Sports Talk Radio? Yeah, Sports Talk Radio. Um, who did I listen to? I listened to you guys before I, before when I took the job, or I actually don't even know if I would, they had offered me the job yet. I listened to you guys every day, um, trying to get acclimated, you know, to the, to the, basically to Detroit sports as a whole, which was cool because the, the Red, Red Wings were still playing, the Pistons were still playing. So I listened to you guys a lot. But uh, if I have to say nationally, Rusillo and Cannell are, is probably my favorite. And I said Mike and Mike, but I, I mean, I watch it. You know, I don't, I'm not always listening in my car. I, I watch it. Last movie that you saw? Uh, Bad Moms. And it was great. It was really great. A lot. Of- I, I, it's, it's basically the mom version of Mean Girls. A lot of people liked it. It was definitely a, a movie that a lot of women went to see. And uh, <laughs> you would rate it uh, two thumbs up? Definitely. Great movie? Yeah, if I had three thumbs, you'd get all three. On hot dogs, ketchup or no ketchup? Ketchup and mustard and mm-hmm. onions. You know, I, I like the Chicago dog style. Okay. Do you drink more beer or wine? Depends on the, what night it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if I'm watching any kind of sporting event, beer. If I'm hanging out with the girls and doing girl night, wine. Okay. And this is the last question that we ask all guests that come in here. You got four tickets. And you can take anybody, dead or alive, to any sporting event, any venue. What sporting event do you go to, and who do you take? Oh, that's tough. Mother Teresa. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the event I'd go to. Mother Teresa's on there. Um, UCLA basketball coach. John Wooden. Wooden. Yeah, John Wooden. He's in there. Um, Mother Teresa, John Wooden. Billie Jean King. There's three. What sporting event? Where would you want to go? Where can I get them all involved together? You know what I mean? Like, where yeah. are you going to get the greatest conversation from everybody? Flushing Meadow, McEnroe Borg. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Back when McEnroe Connors, that'd be good. Yeah. U.S. Open, maybe. Okay, so recap that for us. Billie Jean King, Mother Teresa. Billie Jean King, Mother Teresa, John Wooden. Watching a tennis match, Flushing Meadow, yeah. Connors, McEnroe. Connors, McEnroe, tennis match. That's not bad. Yeah. Kristen Keith spent an hour with us. I hope everyone gets a chance to follow you, follow your work, doing great work covering the Tigers. And now in the fall, you're going to be working uh, with the Pistons and the Red Wings as well. Thank you so much for coming in here and giving us some ideas regarding your work and the future of uh, what you're going to be doing at, over there at Fox Sports Detroit. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.